following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Welcome to Box Office 30 for April 1992. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. How are you? What's going on? I'm okay, but we are plagued by technical difficulties. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully this podcast turns out okay, because whenever we've had sort of like a shadow of a technical issue in the past, sometimes it's turned out real bad for us. Yeah. (laughs) This all started off like a half an hour, 45 minutes ago with me saying, oh, I think this will be a quick episode tonight. And then next thing, I can't get my um, earphones to work. So I, I was this is the earphones that I normally wear on the show. It's great for podcasting where no one can see it. Yes. Well, I'm showing it, I'm showing it to you so I can make, make the difference here. Now, this is the, the earphones that I've worn for pretty much every recording mm-hmm. that we've done of Box Office 30. And I had to go look it up. I've had these since around 2016. Mm-hmm. So they've actually put in a decent amount of time for me. I think there's something funky going on with the battery. These are wireless headphones. So today instead, now I went and got my eight foot long (laughs) wired headphones where the wire just keeps going and going and going. Oh, man. And the problem with these are that they're like really nice quality. Like I spent some money on these when I bought them. And the purpose was for like when I was traveling on airplanes, things like that, they are the closest thing you can get to noise canceling headphones without actually being noise canceling headphones because mm-hmm. I'm one of this weirdo like 10% of humans that like noise canceling headphones makes violently ill. <laughs> <laughs> I found that out the hard way and I have not done them since. So these are like these like, you know, it's like wearing like construction headphones. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is – um it so blocks the amount of my voice that I'm hearing back that it's almost hard to concentrate. It's like one of those things where like sometimes you're recording something and you hear your voice in your own head and it's like, Oh, that's weird. Like, you know, hearing myself, this is like, I cannot hear myself at all. (laughs) So like, it feels even weirder. What I might actually have to do is leave. Yeah. Maybe that's better. I'm going to leave one off (laughs) one of the ears. Otherwise I'm afraid I'm just going to be screaming into the, (laughs) into the the microphone all night. Cause that's that's, that's a scenario where you can't hear yourself. And then 
to top things off, Michael's hearing some bizarre sound on his end. So I don't know. We tried a little test recording, seemed to work. Hopefully this turns out okay. <laughs> Fingers no crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so uh, I figured we'd get right into it tonight. Um, we kind of started this last month, but uh, you hadn't seen it yet. But I thought we'd do a little Batman, the Batman discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but it's hard to discuss the Batman because you always have to predicate it with the. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like you can't, I mean, I guess you could just be, Oh, the new Batman movie or whatever, but I feel like you have to put the in front of it. And it's, it's a little aggravating, but it's just just like when, uh, you know, they did the, uh, David Ayer suicide squad. And then you have the, uh, James Gunn, the Suicide Squad. (laughs) Yeah, and it got even more confusing when they got the thing into theaters and were like, the marketing team was like, wait, maybe we shouldn't have put the word suicide in this. So then they're like, oh, the squad. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go. So I figured like, let me toss the ball into your court because last time I kind of gave like a little bit of a spoiler free initial impressions that I had about the movie. So, so we're all been like dying to hear this. Like Jason was saying to me from the retro network, he's been waiting to hear what our, our actual Batman thoughts are. So, so oh no, Oh boy. <laughs> hit me with it. Let's, let's hear what you got. <laughs> okay. I have so much to say about this movie. It could be its own episode in itself, but I don't want to torture everybody. <laughs> First, this is the, Best comic book movie I've ever seen in the context of if Batman wasn't in it, it'd still be a great mystery movie. Similarly to how Captain America Winter Soldier would be a great action adventure movie, even if it wasn't about Captain America. You know what I'm saying? Kind of. <laughs> I just think it's a great. I, I guess, like, what does that mean, though? Then are you like hot swapping in somebody else? So, like, you could yeah. imagine this movie as it is, but instead of Batman, it's got like just like, a really good detective <laughs> crime a drama. Constantine or something. Yeah, I don't know. No, not not even superheroes. Just like like a good crime drama. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, I, I I think that's in part definitely a little bit of why this movie works. At least this one is that. It's like reminiscent to something like Seven or, yeah. you know, like something along those lines where it's kind of got this just like dark plot and they're trying to unravel it, you know, before time runs out and people get hurt and all this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely see that end of it. Yeah. But okay. again, like this is what I was saying to you last time with me is it's like I've just been dying for a Dark Knight detective movie. And the yeah. detective is the important part of that. Yeah. So that being said. In regards to that aspect of the Dark Knight Detective movie, this movie, in certain moments, it's like the comic book ripped from the pages on screen. There are so many elements of Long Halloween in this. Uh, There's elements of Scott Snyder's run of like the Zero Year. Um, The way they do the the Riddler is very much like that. Um, There's just so many different elements in this movie that are literally you could see that Matt Reeves sat down with a ton of Batman comics and was like, this is going to come right out of it. You know what it was most influenced by, in my opinion, is the Jeff Johns Earth One. Like the way Batman is in that book is exactly like this. In in that movie, in, in that book, Earth One, the Batcave is basically in a sewer or an underground train station. Um 
the way Batman gets trained is by Alfred. Also, all things that reflected from this movie, which is very interesting that they went that route. Um, that being said, I absolutely love the movie. I did not mind the three-hour length. I felt it was there for a reason. Yes, I could have seen maybe about five to ten minutes shaved off of the movie, but I I would have... I was fine either way. That was that was totally fine. Yeah, now, I think if you lost five or ten minutes on the movie, it's not going to make much of a difference yeah. at that at that run length. <laughs> so here are some of the glaring flaws I have with the movie. Okay, first of all, I know he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. He's only been Batman for a little over a year or two, give or take. He solves most of those riddles. So fast. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's true. But like, you know, I it, it's such a funny thing. You know, this is like the Sherlock Batman. And I do like the concept of the Batman that can solve the riddles quickly mm-hmm. like that, like kind of off the top of his head. But I think the problem I have with him is that he had some of them where he's like, bang, instantly he knew the answer. Like that justice one. Yeah. That was in the trailers even. And then he has others where he's like really stuck on it for a long time. Yeah. Or things where like Alfred accidentally solves it or things like that. So what bothered me with that was the inconsistency between the two where like, you know, it wasn't necessarily obvious that it was going to be a much more difficult riddle that would take him a lot longer to solve than some of the other ones that, that he solved like instantly. So no, I I definitely am with you on that front. I also think that this is the best we've ever seen interpretation of the Batman Jim Gordon dynamic. Yeah, well, I mean, just because of the sheer amount of screen time Jim Gordon has in this, you know, I I think a lot of times, well, again, I think, you know, like, especially like as we were kids coming from something like the Batman animated series where Jim Gordon also played a pretty significant role in a lot of episodes and in the comics where, you know, he pairs up with Jim Gordon quite frequently. It's like, oh, it's nice to see Jim Gordon being like a real fixture throughout. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned it last time, perfect casting choice on, on his part of Jeffrey Wright. He's so awesome. I'll watch him in anything. Um, so I definitely agree on that point. Um, I would say another weak point I have, and it might be in your list of things is the indestructible Batman. (laughs) Okay. This is, this is, I was, I was getting there. Yeah, I knew you would, but I have to get it out there because this is one of the things that was making me so itchy to talk about last time is that any superhero film is going to have a certain amount of stuff even when you're a batman type character basically a human that shouldn't really have like any other substantial strength or invulnerability or things like that going where they do manage to take hits that would otherwise cripple a normal person or whatever but oh my god like he basically gets killed and i do mean killed like at least three times that I can count off the top of my head. I'd say a solid three, yes. Yeah, like I'm thinking of like when he smashes into that bridge when he's skydiving. (laughs) I'm thinking about when he... Blown up in the church. Yeah, well, the blown up in the church. And then when he gets like electrocuted by that thing at the end, and then he just kind of like stands back up out of the pool. There's probably even a few more I'm not thinking of right now. Well, I mean... It's it's really weird because it's... you know, for a movie that seems to have a lot of stakes, like where it's like this person's going to die if we can't figure this out. These people are going to die. You know, 
it gets really oh and his armor like his completely bulletproof armor to the point that these people are unloading fully automatic weapons into him yes. from about two feet away and it's just like brap and like bouncing off you know and doing nothing no except then the magic shotgun at the end of the movie like yes like fully automatic gunfire from a foot away no problemo but one shotgun blast sends this dude flying and by, by some just, amateur guy yeah so. I, that's the type of thing that was bothering me too is weird inconsistencies in, in that sort of thing because I'm used to like I would have wished this was and I'm sorry I'm going to let you speak in, I'm going to let you speak God, let me finish alright I'm going to let you talk <laughs> let me finish let me finish <laughs> it's, uh, this, this just this thing of like I like the Batman that if like a guy's about to shoot him, he like throws like the smoke bomb and like dodges out of the way and whatever. This dude was just like, I'm going to stand here and take these bullets. Like I'm Clark Kent. And that was driving me up a wall. <laughs> okay. So I felt the same way, especially the machine gun hallway scene. It's visually breathtaking. It's beautiful, but it's like shoot him in the head. <laughs> and besides that, like, it's it's so over the top, like it doesn't even slow him down. And that's what I'm saying, yeah. And what's funny about it is I, I looked at this two ways. One, yes, it is ridiculous. But on the other hand, it just shows this Batman is relentless. Like he's just gonna keep coming no matter what you throw at him. And they even sort of play into that in the movie where he says, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. So it's like, whatever, they can shoot me a million times. But, yes, that's a big problem. Also, granted, he's got this magical armor that protects him from blowing up, electrocution, gunfire. Alfred gets blown up in Wayne Manor and lives. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point as well. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say for Alfred is he at least like figured it out a fraction of a second before and like dove behind like a like a the desk table. or something yeah. like that. He didn't take the explosion that was happening at the guy's neck at face level directly <laughs> in the face and not even have a scratch afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let me ask you something cuz yeah. it's related but unrelated. What does he stab himself with? Adrenaline or venom? It was particularly green, that stuff he stabbed himself with at the end there. <laughs> you know, I that's a very good point. Um, they haven't established that Venom exists in this world. That being said, they also haven't established that it doesn't exist in this world either. It seemed like a little... I mean, again, this movie's littered with Easter eggs, but yeah. it, it seemed almost like too on the nose of a nod that he'd be carrying this little green vial of stuff with him, you know, yeah. like very evocative of Venom. <laughs> I mean, I guess for the, for the ordinary audience, it's like, yeah, some sort of special adrenaline. But he got such a jolt of power back to life that I could see it's some sort of watered down mild dose of, of Venom to give him an extra oomph who knows because i'll tell you the other thing too is like you know we've seen people get like adrenaline shots in movies and things like that and it gets them like oh yeah i'm gonna go this almost seemed to put him into like a complete rage because then he was like beating that guy so yeah. badly you know which is very venom, venom indicative yeah so i was really curious if that's kind of some of the the direction they were pointing things in you know i would be cool with that the only thing is we uh, it, this goes to my that you know post credit D deleted scene of the Joker or whatever. 
We've seen the Joker. We've seen Bane. Who cares at this point? <laughs> I don't care. Like, Batman has the deepest rogues gallery of any superhero in any franchise, in any company ever of all time. Like, let's see Mr. Freeze. Let's see, you know, a better telling of, like, the Mad Hatter kind of a thing or, you know... There could be a million different characters they could I mean, do. even with this dark and gritty world, and you mentioned it before with Long Halloween, they could probably get away with doing something like Calendar Man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, just put him into that same sort of scenario as the – that's the interesting thing about what they ultimately did with this because it's a really odd take on the Riddler, you know, with like the yeah. sort of like – kind of gimpy mask and things like that. Zero, that he's killer, killer sort of. Yeah. Um, it's not the, the Riddler that we're used to. That being said, I mean, I it, it didn't bother me. Like I actually thought Paul Dano was really good in the role. Yeah. Made some interesting and odd character choices. But overall, like, you know, I thought it was an interesting version of, of that character. So I don't mind rebooting some of the things like that. But, you so, know, like even jumping back to the Christian Bale stuff, and you know that I'm a huge fan of, um, of the, the Joker in the Dark Knight, but I really liked the portrayal of the Scarecrow with Syrian Murphy in, yeah. in the first one. You know, like that was like a cool new way of of introducing that villain and things like that. And I thought yeah. they just handled it like in a kind of a cool way. So yeah, it was possible to do these characters with justice and not be like cool freeze, yeah, you know, like whatever, like chill out. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say though, other than the the mask that they give the Riddler, it's very, very parallel to the version that Scott Snyder created in Zero Year. Like very, very parallel. Now, I can go really deep into the weeds on this movie and talk for hours, as I said. I can tell you right now I know where this movie's going in the sequel. They lean so heavily into Long Halloween. And I will say this, people will not be happy when they hear this. I personally am not a Robin fan as it relates to live action. I think it's just too on the nose. Like, how could Jim Gordon be like, gee, Bruce Wayne has this kid that lives with him now. And (laughs) Batman has this kid running around with him. That doesn't make any sense. That seems odd. Jim Gordon's a pretty good detective. He could figure that out. That being said, if there's ever been a live-action Batman that needs a Robin, this guy needs a Robin. (laughs) He's so dark. He's so depressed. He needs a little levity. And I can see them going the Jeff Loeb dark victory route and tying in the Jeff Loeb um, Catwoman when in Rome story in inter- interconnected when they do the sequel for this movie. I could fully see that. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things about this movie that I really, really loved. I actually was a little bit reluctant about the Batmobile until I saw it. And I was like, wow, this is cool. This I is mean, cool. I liked the concept early on. Cause you know, as with several of these last Batman movie, one of the first things they let out like let's slip the Batmobile. was the Batmobile design and when they showed it I was like I'm kind of into that because you know as you've said like with some of like the, the year one type of stuff like it's that concept of the unrefined Batman the guy who's only been doing it for a short time doesn't have like all this really super high tech stuff it's more like things he's been piecing together in his garage mm-hmm. um 
for my money, that Batmobile chase was among one of the cooler chases that they've had in a Batmobile. Yeah. I mean, they've done several and there was a neat like little design I saw up on, um, you know, the internet somewhere where they had sort of put like each of several Batmobiles like leaping through flame or something like that. And I was like, that was a really cool scene. And I really liked how that how that whole chase went down. Um, that being said, okay, <laughs> for, for a Batman who is very adamant about the no killing thing, there were some people that died on that road that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> some people did not make out of that one alive. No, yeah, those are some pretty epic explosions. <laughs> um, yeah, she say there's quite a lot of collateral damage. Yes. In this film, you know, even with just like the city flooding and things like that, you know, not that that's directly his fault. It's just something that he failed to to figure out in time. But like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it, it, it was interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. And, you know, I I get it. And I, I, I actually was OK with it because it is right out of the comic books. The flooding of the city is, again, right out of Scott Snyder's run. It literally is right there. I will um, say, because I, I, I might have, and this is going to be where I'm going to start getting confused, because I know you and I have chatted a little bit about this movie now, and I've also chatted with a few other people about it, so correct me <laughs> if we've discussed this. But I do feel like the flooding of the city was one of the most underserved plot lines, and I was curious if they had additional scenes that really established that further. I felt like there was like an early on in the film you know, like wide shot that sort of showed that the city had a seawall, but it wasn't like, you know, you didn't have some scene that was like, well, we just finished patching up the seawall. I sure hope nothing happens to it. That would be terrible for the city. It would flood in an instant, you know, sort of thing that would like set it up for later. So when it did happen, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I. that's right. I guess somebody two hours ago, you know, showed a seawall or something and you know like it just it wasn't as obvious for me as like oh we're gonna send this train through the gotham subway station and it's gonna evaporate all the air when that does it's gonna explode you know like you know like where they're explaining it more and sometimes i guess that can get too heavy-handed but like i felt like this was like way under explained i was just like all right flooding okay (laughs) seems like a bad city design maybe you should have built the city a little higher Well, this is like the effect of global warming or something. The, the the one thing that they that they say in Gotham City is it's it's though it's basically New York City. They say in a way it's sort of also like New Orleans, where it's got levees as well. And when the levees blow, it it could flood the whole city. It's established in the comics. They should have said that in this movie, but they almost left it as you know. I don't want to give it away. What's going to happen? And I was okay with that. That being said, as I said, this is Gotham City is very much like New York City. Though this movie was filmed mostly in the UK, the wide shots and aerial shots, this is what I could literally envision a gritty, dark, Gotham-esque Manhattan to be. Yeah, well, they have like a couple, like, as you say, it is, I think we were joking about it the other day, it's like, it's a really dark movie and i i saw this great sort of meme that was like 
we're about one or two more bat this like the producers of the movie we're like we're about one or two more batman movies away from just showing an all black screen and just recording an audio book over the top of it people <laughs> still come to see it you know sort of thing um and i think they play that up a lot in the film you know like that kind of opening sequence i thought was really cool and unique where it was like all these criminals are like Maybe he's not here tonight, but maybe he is, you know, yeah. like I, he might be in that shadow hiding there or whatever. Um, so I thought they kind of did some cool stuff with that. But at the same time, they did have a couple of scenes during. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, man, does it rain in Gotham City? Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> it was raining and raining and raining throughout this whole film to the extent that I read a really funny review online from a guy who went to a 4DX screening Mm -hmm. And for those who um, aren't aware, and I've actually never been to a 4DX, but I'm aware of what it entails. Um, it's basically there's a, there's several 4DX theaters throughout the country. And the point is, while you're viewing the movie, your seat moves around. And if it's raining, you get like sprayed with a mist. mist yeah. And if like, you know, they're firing like guns, like there's like a like You'll a smoky smell and it feels like you're getting like whacked in the chair and things. Yeah. So this guy was like, I'm sick because it's a three hour long movie. The chair never stops moving and I'm just being sprayed in the face by water every single minute with all the, because I guess he was saying not only does it spray the water with the rain scenes, but also anytime they were firing the gun, it would do like a mist, like, like sort of thing. So he's like, I'm just getting, he's like, by the end of the movie, I just felt sick as a dog. He's like, I hated it. He's like, I'll never do it again. Um, but, uh, there was one or at least one scene where they had this really wide aerial shot of the yeah. city and it was really cool looking. It was like really like sprawling and different. Yeah. Uh, yeah I really was digging um, their vision of Gotham in this film. Yeah. I, you know, I will say, and this is how I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up is wrap I'm, it up, <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> I, I really did love this movie. I thought it was, an excellent film. I am glad that it takes place outside of the DCEU and all the mess that that is. And it's yeah. its own thing. Um, I actually think they just need to kill the DCEU and start again. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I was very impressed with Robert Pattinson. He is menacing in this movie. His Bruce Wayne is, is very brooding and very dark to the point where it's like, how can this guy not be Batman? Yeah. <laughs> but, but overall, I thought the movie was great. It's a fantastic film. It's bigger than life, especially when you see it in the theater. It's just you're you feel like you're in the movie at, at certain points. Every actor was fantastic. Um, what's his name? John Turturro was as Falcone was. <laughs> He's great always. Great. And and I mean, I have and I'm gonna leave it with this. If, if nothing else, see it for Colin Farrell's performance of the Penguin. He steals every scene and he is gone in that role. Like he's not even. Yeah, you know, I know there was a lot of to do of people like, why would you hire this guy and then put him in all this makeup? As if that doesn't happen like on a regular in a lot right. of movies or whatever. I Like I did, that didn't bother me in the least. I thought it was a cool makeup job. I thought it was a cool take on the character. I, I think my favorite to date still penguin take is that kind of cockney version that's in the um arkham games yeah. um, so i almost wish they had done that instead of like kind of like italian mobster, italian mobster yeah. sort of thing 
um, because I, I feel like somehow that character works better in that in that vein. But mm-hmm. um, that said, he yeah absolutely chewed the scenery and was was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's really my shortened version of. <laughs> Of the Batman. Yeah, as you said, we could definitely spend a whole episode really dissecting it, not for the least of which. It's such a long movie. You can really pull it apart. But uh, I'm so happy to hear that you and I are are pretty much in agreement on on this one. The biggest burning question everyone's going to want to know is, where does this rank in my Batman I was going to ask. (laughs) Okay. Um, I still will say... Batman 89 is my favorite in the sense that it was like the one that really sparked my passion for Batman. Do I think it's the best Batman movie? No. I think the best Batman movie is Batman Begins. I think this is the second best. Okay. I I think 89 is the third best. Then the Dark Knight is the fourth best. And then everything else sort of trails off after that. Um, Reason being... Why the Dark Knight isn't my number one of the Batman movies is because though Heath Ledger is incredible, the movie is littered with plot holes and there's tremendous problems with that movie that you overlook because Heath Ledger is so good. But if you look at it as a film, it's an absolute mess, in my opinion. <laughs> I think most of the Batman movies are absolute messes when it yeah. comes to the uh, to that sort of thing. So you you got to give your concessions where you can. Yeah. There so you speaking go. of absolute messes, oh boy, how about those Oscars? Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I actually have to say the the irony of all this is like it was actually like a really decent. Oscars, mm-hmm. if you just clip out the elephant in the room, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you can just ignore the whole Will Smith slap gate, you know, thing, you know, it was, it was just like a fine and normal Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. It's insane how much that whole thing has overshadowed it. And I felt like there was probably no way you and I could be doing a movie podcast without talking during about this time period of the year with the Oscars going on that we couldn't at least touch upon it. I don't have a lot to say on the actual um, Slapgate thing that hasn't been said a million times by I, everybody else on the internet. I mean, except to say so that it's really that bummer yeah. that it happened. Yeah, it it really soured not just the Oscars, but it, it soured Will Smith's career. Um, it makes me even more excited that I'm going to see Chris Rock and Kevin Hart at Jones Beach this summer. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I shout out for that tour that they're going on and i actually got tickets be- i intended to get them before this but then i really had to get them after this so i was like yeah. whatever um i mean like my hot take on all this is a few things first of all chris rock what a champion man he really um maintained such a level of professionalism and composure and yeah now that said move maybe making fun of her with the hair i don't know and i think we'll never know if he knew knew about it i am hard pressed to feel like he didn't for two reasons one she's been fairly vocal about it and even though most people including myself only learned that that was affecting her that night yeah they're like pretty thick because they were on all those Madagascar movies. Like my understanding is that they're actually pretty good friends, the two of them. Mm. So it seems like something that would be really hard for him to not know about that said crummy joke 
be for multiple reasons. Like who the heck even still thinks about or knows about GI Jane after all these years. So like it was a low blow joke, but it was also just a terrible joke. Um, I think he could have skipped that one and kept on going. So uh, forgetting that aside. Yeah. I think Will Smith got caught up in the emotions in the moment and Jada giving him, I posted that order 66 meme the other day there. I don't know. I think we'll never know a hundred percent what went on in his head. What I will say is that I think he completely shot himself in the foot. I think yeah. it's, it's you know, there's no absolutely no worse time it could have happened, especially because he's about to win the Actor of the Year award. And then I, on the Oscars night, so I the reason I wanted to bring up the Oscars outside of this is that uh, my office did a Oscars pool, and I felt very proud of myself because – I tied with one other person for the win on the Oscars pool. Mm-hmm. I picked um, 20 out of 23 things correct. So I was like, yeah, you know, like felt really good about that. Um, but then at the opposite end of this whole thing, I, I got it got late that night and I was like, I had to get up early the next morning. So I missed his acceptance speech through the end of the show. So I actually watched his acceptance speech tonight. And I have to say, like, it's really heartbreaking to watch, especially after, like, this has all sort of settled down over the past week. And he's been, you know, he's resigned from the Academy and he's got Netflix deals that he's losing. And it's like, you know, like he had this like amazing high and now all of a sudden he's hitting amazing low. And it's really heartbreaking because I genuinely like Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And um, I always have, you know, he's been uh, just like a fun actor to follow throughout his whole career. And um, watching his acceptance speech was kind of heartbreaking. I know then like, you know, everything I was seeing in the day after was like, oh, well, he apologized to the Academy and his fellow nominees, but he didn't apologize to Chris Rock. And that's absolutely true. But you can also see that he's like a wreck. Like his his lips are quivering throughout the whole talk. He's got snot pouring out of his nose he's crying you can you can just tell that like he is just a ball of emotion in that moment and i kind of feel bad for him you know what i mean like given like you know a lot of stuff that's going on with cancel culture and i think some people have deserved it and some people have been bigger victims i sort of hope this thing turns around for him because i'd really hate for this to be like the defining moment of his career yeah at the moment when it should have been like the peak of his career. You know what I mean? So end of the day, it's like a tragedy. There's no winners in this. It's all losers. I, it just sucks. Um, and I'm, I'm really bummed that it it went down the way that it did. I I would agree. I would tend to agree. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, one of those caught up in the moment, you know, reactionary things that happened and it just, you know, it derailed the show. It derailed everybody around it. It was as as uh, you know, Chris Rock said, one of the greatest moments on television because you just could you couldn't believe it. You just couldn't believe yeah. that this would happen. In particular, with Will Smith, who's just such a lovable, likable guy, and and for all this to go down, it was just so bizarre. But you know. Hopefully, you know, as time will go on, it, it this too shall pass, and you know, 
he'll be able to come back out of it. I think it's going to take a couple of years to to rebound from this because people don't forget as well as they used to. Yeah, yeah. So. That's why I say I really hope, like, for long term that uh, this isn't his cancellation. That it's not the end for him because yeah. it it would really suck if it if it was. And I, I you know. Again, a lot of people have have gotten you know run through the ringer on on kind of a variety of different things, and some really genuinely deserve it. But I, I you know, there's no excusing laying his you know hands on somebody like that. But like, man, what a what a time and what what a, what a thing to do it over. I, I think also Chris Rock said it like, "Wow, over a GI Jane joke." You know, I mean, like. <laughs> I, you know what I, I think is the is the oddest part about it is, and I think this is as a husband and a father, you you can connect with this sort of thing. Will Smith kind of giggled at it at first, and then when he looked over and he saw Jada and how upset she was, that's when his his like emotion shifted. Like, oh man, this was not funny. Like she she was she was visually hurt about it and it shifted the, the dynamic for him, right? But I, you know, it is. And I, I just think what was so shocking about it is like, if you watch Chris Rock's body language, when Will Smith comes up, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, and I think he's thinking like, Oh, he's going to come up and like, you know, say something to yeah, me yeah. Or, 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 you know, some kind of ribbing. He like clearly misread that because he like stood there, put his hands behind his back and then pow, you know, like yeah. right in the kisser. Um, and I will say he's no glass jaw, you know what I mean? Like he, he really like took that, not that it was like a, you know, closed, you know, fist punch or something, but like, you know, everybody misread that. Like instantly I was Googling, like, is this a bit, I, I think I've read stories that people in the audience there were Googling, like, is this a bit, you know, like, I think nobody knew how to, how to read it at first, you know? So really, really something. And I, I, it's unfortunate because I think it's going to really kind of stain, Oscar's history is one of these moments that like, you know, is just going to be infamous. Yeah, I think so too. Well, on a more positive note, did you have any like Oscar winners or or losers that you kind of were, you know, rooting for or or something that was going, you know, that way for you? I was rooting for Coda. I thought Coda was a great movie and I was glad that it won best picture and that the guy that played the father won best supporting actor. I was cool fact. I found out about him. He is an honorary member of the 501st Legion and uh, like I guess cosplays with them with um, uh, Star Wars stuff, but he de- he was in the Mandalorian and he designed the Tuscan Raider sign language in that. He, yeah, and uh, he's also in Boba Fett, I think, as well. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was very cool and a very interesting ca- guy. I did a little bit of a deep dive on him afterwards, and very interesting stuff. Um, I was really really bummed that Andrew Garfield didn't win Best Actor for Tick Tick Boom. He's so good in that movie that it was just the worst year to get it between being up against Will Smith and Denzel and like these other juggernauts that just you just like it just he did he didn't have his chance to win, which would have been great because he was yeah. so good in it. Um I was I was surprised that uh Billie Eilish won for her song versus um the, the song from Encanto. I was very surprised by that. So I wasn't, I wasn't because, you know, this is like one of the things like when I was researching all the stuff for the Oscar pool that like, she was the clear in a way kind of favorite to win um, for that song. And I, I have to say it is 
cool. And I think part of the reason why it did do what it did is that it so incorporated it back a lot of the James Bond theme into it kind of as like a nice um, 60, 60 year anniversary sort of um, thing. The thing with Encanto, I think they couldn't figure out which is the best song in the movie. Yeah. Like what movie to put up there? You know, I think when they launched the movie, I think they were thinking that um, what's it called? Uh, uh, no, well, not that. That's the one that took off. But uh, the the pressure song with the sister, yeah, which I think is the best song in the movie. I personally. think they thought that that was going to be kind of like the let it go of the film that you got this like you know again like female empowerment sort of mm-hmm. you know dealing with with stress and family stuff and and I think they thought that was going to be the one where it went and then obviously Bruno took off and and did a whole thing which by the way as far as Oscar Knight lows. <laughs> the that was um, the worst part that it the, was like th- they did uh, we don't talk about bruno but it was awful to the extent that like they started it off and they did the like we don't talk about bruno no no and then like they like repeated it like twice and i was like it's almost like they missed their cue and just decided to start over and it was all downhill from there it was really yeah. off key sounding it was really weird um, I digress. But then um, Das Orgidas, which is a really pretty song. I, you know, like even like, I mean, for adults, I don't know where it lands, but I'll tell you, like when I play it for like Zoe and Kara, they're like, yeah, let's skip this one because yeah. it's like, it's a little too like quiet and soft. And like, it's a very beautiful song. Like I really like it. Like I often find myself whistling it or whatever, but um, I just, I think it's one of these movies where it just suffered from like, they had a lot of they had a lot of really good music, and then like like the clear standout was not the one they thought it was going to be. So I think it just kind of yeah screwed them up for where it was going to go. I yeah. think so. I think so too. But you know, overall, decent Oscars. You know, like you said, taking away that moment, otherwise everything else was was very enjoyable. I thought the hosts were good. They they were a little bit awkward at times. Like they just they they were they felt a little uncomfortable at times even before what happened. But overall, I thought, you know, Amy Schumer was good. Wanda Sykes was good. And um, Regina uh, Hill was was very good. So she was actually the funniest of the, of the three of them. So I've got a, a one more minus and one more plus I'll toss in here before we move on to the next thing. Another minus for me, and it sort of relates to what you're saying with, with the hosts because they were doing this with them, but they did do this with a couple of the presenters as well. I hated that super wide camera that they were walking around in the audience with. Like instead of just having the presenters be on stage and talking, they'd be like walking through the tables with them. And it was almost like they needed to tell like whoever was presenting to maintain like eight feet away from them, but they were like three feet away. So like the camera would get like really wide. It was really awkward. So that was something that was bothering me throughout the whole show. (laughs) On the positive side, not only because it was a win for me because it helped me so far with my Oscar poll, but it, it was cool because I was really rooting for this film in general. I'm really happy that um, Dune won as many and for the some of the categories that it did, Oscars that it did. Because um, uh, like I said when I saw it uh, in the podcast a couple months back, from a technical standpoint, it is one of the most visually stunning movies I've seen in years. Yeah. Um, kind of up there with like Blade Runner 2049 and a couple things like that where it's just like just takes your breath away how cool it is as far as like just pure visual um, cinematography and, and, and just cinema in general goes. Yeah. 
Um, and as well as some of the, the sound editing and, um, even the score and stuff like that, I was like, bravo that you guys kind of swept as many as you did, because again, not necessarily my favorite movie of the year, but I think for a lot of those categories it was in, it really deserved um, a lot of what it got. So that's where I'll call it. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So, uh, what's new and new to you? Okay. Oh boy. I I got a couple here. All right. Alrighty. <laughs> I, I've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> All right. The good. I saw the direct to Netflix Ryan Reynolds The Adam Project movie. Oh, I'm so itchy to see that. <laughs> I it's very cute. It's very fun. I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it's a cute almost low budget sort of movie, but really enjoyable film and has a good little heart to it. Visually, it's actually really interesting and exciting. So I was really enjoying with that. Uh, what about you? What, what's, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to come back. And Fair go. enough. I have two. I'm just going to briefly mention them. I'm not going to go too deep on them, but um, I've been watching a lot of television lately um, which I'm not going to talk about, but I did see finally Jungle Cruise, which is actually pretty watchable. I was, you know, like I was like a little like back and forth about it. I didn't want to um, take Zoe to see it because I knew that there were some scary elements and I was like, she's not to that point yet. But I had a day and I was like, you know what? Let me put this on. I could just use something kind of dumb or whatever. Um, Jungle Cruise is... Pirates of the Caribbean set in the Amazon River. It, it is literally this exact same movie. You have like this kind of like suave, bombastic male character with a female, strong female character that'll show him his place going up against old cursed um, people that, that, you know, were trying to seek out something they shouldn't have been and got cursed. And, and now they're going to live forever until the curse is broken. And it, Turns out there's a surprise curse. and I mean, it is literally copy and paste Pirates of the Caribbean just in a new locale with new people. Um, (laughs) That said, I think some of the um, graphics on the, um, like, cursed characters, as it were, Mm -hmm. were actually much better in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. It seemed a little crummier done in this movie. But if you're bored and you got an afternoon and you want some just like fun video with The Rock and and, uh, and all, there's a lot worse you could do. Um, the other one I finally did see and I was so excited and happy to finally see it was The Kingsman. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. I still think um, Kingsman's Secret Service is, is definitely still by and far the best of the movies. But this mm-hmm. is now my second place as far as the three go. Um, I, I, th- I think I knew it was, a, and I think it was pretty public knowledge that it was a prequel. What came as a surprise to me about this movie was they did kind of a fun thing in so much as that it's touching on a lot of real world people and events mm-hmm. in a way that was like, <laughs> spoiler alert, I guess for anybody who hasn't seen it, but like Rasputin is a character in this and Rasputin is a real life person. Yeah. And Rasputin was assassinated um, in a palace 
And one of the ways he was killed was that he was shot point blank in the forehead with a gun. Well, in Kingsman, they end up with this Rasputin in a palace and the Kingsmen kill him by shooting him in the forehead with a gun. And it's like, oh, all right. So like there, it's like, it's like Assassin's Creed. It's like revisionist history. It's like sticking in like, you know, like them into spots in like real world history. So it's kind of fun how they handled um, some of that it has to do with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand and the uh, start of World War One. What's crazy to me is I actually learned some real world history that I had no clue about really? in this film. So um, uh, King George, um, Kaiser Wilhelm and the Tsar of Russia were all cousins. Mm. All Queen Victoria's daughters married off to uh, these people. So they were all cousins. Insane. I had no clue that that whole um, dynasty of people that were fighting in World War One were literally related by one generation of blood. Absolutely crazy. I had no clue. So my history class failed me where the King's Man succeeded. So um, again, well worth um, a watch for the action and the over-the-topness. Um, again, still in my mind, not as good as the first movie, but definitely a, a close second. So, okay, okay off to you. <laughs> okay, my bad. All right. Fast nine. Okay. Uh, not not terribly surprised by that. <laughs> I am a big fan of the Fast and Furious movies. I think they're just I like their nonsensicalness to it. But this movie was so bad. It, it was <laughs> it was painful to watch. I was like I was I was I got to where I was actually hate watching it. I'm like yeah, it's horrible. It might be one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. It should never have been made. It should never have been released. And I feel bad for John Cena because he's probably doing the best in every of everybody in the whole movie. And he's working with this horrible film with horrible dialogue, ridiculous plot that is just <laughs> almost non-existent to the point where they take a car and send a car into outer space. Yes. For that. It, it's the worst piece of garbage you could ever see in your life. I mean, I think it's, it's such an interesting series because – if you go all the way back to the beginning and rewatch, which by the way, I was doing several months ago and I really need to continue. Um, it starts off really fairly grounded. Like if yeah. you go all the way back to the fast and the furious it's basically like a cop drama movie. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's, it's pretty grounded in, in everything that it comes from as they progress. They just start getting a little bit bigger, a little bit crazier, a little more off the rails to the point where at this point with Fast 9, and I have not seen Fast 9. I'm actually re-watching through the series to get to Fast 9 because I think I haven't seen 8 either. 8 um, was good. I actually liked 8, and it's insane. But it's very much like a Bond movie, almost like Triple X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the speaking of Vin Diesel movies, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. The, those movies have gotten so far away from where they started that they've almost become like a joke on themselves with the well, whole like that's the family, thing. family. You know, like you know, like people the, poke so much fun at it now. The family thing is really annoying, but on top of that, they do get a little meta, and they're sort of like, "Dude, we can't die!" Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is kind of funny. But the movie is absolutely horrible. Horrible. Oh. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I don't know how they're going to make another one. It's so bad. Well, I don't know how they're going to make another one because it seems like the family has fallen apart between like <laughs> – I like that you know there was all this infighting over the past few years between The, the Rock. Rock and Vin Diesel. Uh, and it's like, I'll never work with him again, blah, blah, blah. And, all. and so finally, fairly recently, I want to say like a month or two ago, Vin Diesel swallowed his pride and was like – you know, let's put this behind us. I, you know, family, we want you back. Please come be in the film. Family, we love you, Rock family. Family, 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 family. And The Rock was basically like, you <laughs> like, like, he just like, you know, he's just like, no, I'm never working with you again. Forget it. You know, like, like, I, I just thought it was so funny. Like, because there's been a lot of like insincere apologies from, from uh, from Vin Diesel and just trying to do the cash grab thing. This one seemed at least a little bit more for real. And it was still like, nope. <laughs> so I guess Hobbs and Shaw is still going to be off doing its own thing. And, and I don't know, Fast 10 on Mars, I guess. Like, well, like where does it go? A deep sea. It either goes to Mars or like the Marianas Trench. There's no... There's nowhere to go else from there. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, or they're going to like Pompeii or something like that. Who knows? Like I have not seen them driving the cars in the in the bottom of the ocean yet. That would be the next thing, I guess. <laughs> well, well I, I did hear that Jason Momoa is the next villain, so it could be an Aquaman tie-in. There, oh, uh, that would be something. <laughs> so, okay, now the ugly. Um, as a whole, the movie is bleh, boring. But this one actor, very decent performance. I saw Spencer with a Kristen Stewart, and she, yeah. Hence why I made it the ugly. Um, it's, <laughs> it's everything you say from here on out just sounds like yeah. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't dwell on it too long. But it is one of the slowest, most boring movies I've ever seen. Nobody else in the movie is featured really at all. They're all kind of just treated as these one-dimensional villains. And it's basically Kristen Stewart playing Kristen Stewart in a Princess Diana wig. She is just the worst. Uh, look, I know I've like and I, and basically. I, like her. I do like her in some things, but no, she's no, no, no. I've I've basically forgiven um, Robert Pattinson a little bit, you know, given how he's um, done some more decent films over the past recent years, it, uh, you know. But I have I don't think I've ever seen anything that she's been in that I like her in, and her real life personality is even worse. Yeah. So that's why I label that one the ugly. The ugly, yes, yeah, understood. Okay. And last but not least, I just want to mention, you know, a lot of people have been asking me about how I feel about the whole Bruce Willis uh, retiring from acting thing. And anybody who knows me knows that Bruce Willis is arguably my favorite actor next to Michael Keaton. Um, I didn't post anything about social media on it because I don't, I didn't want to get into it. But I, I am – my heart breaks for him, and it, it's, a, it's a really hard thing that he's dealing with right now. And I, I'm sad that I won't see him in, you know, another Die Hard movie or, or anything or another M. Night Shyamalan movie. But, you know, I just wanted to give 
Bruce Willis a shout out and you know thank you for all of the movies and joy and memories and laughs and TV shows over the last 40 years and you know props to you so yeah, no, fair enough. Um, for those who maybe somehow missed this in the news, um, for some time now, um, basically over like the past year and change, um, he's been kind of knocking out one movie after another movie after another movie. And a lot of them are like little bit parts, things like that. Essentially, he was um, him and his family basically made a decision once he had heard um, about his asphasia condition that like let's just do this knock out some stuff make some final money and then call it a day um and uh i think for a lot of people it's been in a way not like that's the word not a payoff that he's finally um come out and and sort of talked about what the condition is and what's going on but i think a lot of people were concerned Mm. because he's been kind of dwindling in a lot of these things. You know, he had a Broadway performance uh, that didn't really go very well. Um, He's been doing almost all of these movies with a very visible earpiece in essentially being fed lines and things like that. Um, And it's, it's sad. It is, it's disheartening because he's had such a a kind of a long career, love him or hate him. You know, I know he's had um, personality, let's say gripes with, with different people throughout Hollywood um, and different issues with things like that. But, um, you know, again, very iconic film actor. You hate for anybody to have to deal with something like this, especially somebody who's been in such a public eye and, and really still has a lot of health and energy and, and otherwise life left in them that could continue to go on and keep doing this sort of thing to be kind of cut off, you know, so early. So, um, it is a bummer. I mean, we're talking about him like he's dead. He's not dead, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, at least the, the positive is maybe he can spend some more time with his family and, and things like that now. But um, absolutely, you know, uh, awesome career, and and he will be missed uh, in, especially you know, in cinema. Considering yeah. that we have a lot more Bruce Willis '90s movies to to come down our pipe. So yes. We'll be we'll be reliving some more of those as they come, but we didn't um, we didn't get the yeah. last Boy Scout, but we still have got Last Man Standing <laughs> coming up. Yep. <laughs> so okay, now let's get actually into our box office thirty segment for April of nineteen ninety two. got pete all right so welcome april 92 um kind of a bummer month (laughs) so you and i were were um talking up uh on the last episode that we were going to throw a a little poll out there um didn't end up doing it we kind of made an executive decision which we'll discuss in a minute but uh, i was a little surprised by kind of what popped up in in the calendar this month because i sort of thought there would be you know, especially again, like we were talking in January, like, wow, 92, big year, lots of stuff going on. But then we've kind of had a little bit of a slow burn start here. So I'm hoping that it picks up for us once we hit the kind of start movie things as we go. Yeah. But in the meantime, we kind of have a list of things that we've mostly discussed before. So I'll, we'll run through them. 
Um, our top film for April is Basic Instinct. Um, we've heard this this name before in the past months here. Has an April gross of forty two point seven million, uh, which is actually better than its March gross. Uh, number two is White Men Can't Jump. We go in Sizzla, right? <laughs> With uh, forty two point three million in earnings. And in the number three spot, we have Beethoven at $32.6 million. I figured I'd also mention My Cousin Vinny. Every once in a while, I remember like, oh, we should talk about the last movie we talked about. My Cousin Vinny drops down to the number six spot this month with only $16.7 million in April, which you and I had sort of discussed. Again, sort of surprising that the movie didn't go on to make a lot more than it actually did. Kind of a yeah. bummer. So already it has a little bit of a fall off and it's just going to keep dropping from there. As I said, no poll this month. Mike and I got to discussing it after last episode, and we're like, you know what? We kind of don't want to do Basic Instinct. We kind of don't want to do Beethoven. Let's do White Men Can't Jump. So that's where we're going to land for our featured film this month. Um, With apologies to the normal voting community that we didn't throw a poll out there, even one of my, you know, dopey you know, fixed polls or whatever, but we'll, we'll try and get back to it uh, for next month. Listen, listen, they were going to troll me because I, I told them how much I hate Charles Grodin in these kind of movies. And they were going to just hit me with Beethoven because I don't like that movie. And yeah. I don't like him. Well, I, the <laughs> other thing is like, it's like, and again, like we kind of had to make an executive decision on this one because not for nothing, all the years I've known you, you have quoted this movie a ton of times to me, and it would be really unfair for us to not ever really do a deeper dive on it, <laughs> particularly on a month where where you get to talk about it a bit more. So um, I, I figured let's let's throw the dog a bone here and, and Thank not, you. not to poor old Beethoven and Charles Grodin. <laughs> okay, so... Other than these movies this month, what what else is on the list here? What do we got? Yeah, so let's run down the list. So we're, we're, I'm not going to take us, uh, us back and talk about Basic Instinct again. Obviously, yeah. that was a past month. But we'll start things off at the number three rank with Beethoven. Now, we talked for a moment about it last time. We're of a little bit of disagreement here. Now, both of us agreed this is a good movie. We're a little bit disagreement on, on Charles Grodin. That said, I do see where you're coming from with Charles Grodin as, as you know, like that kind of dad. But I don't know, like for me, um, comparatively to some of the other kind of like angry dads of that generation, like I always got a kick out of him, especially in that film. So, so we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one, but Beethoven, you know, like, you know what it is really? We just did father of the bride where Steve Martin (laughs) plays essentially the same character. Yes. Yeah. That's true. That's fair. Um, I I loved Beethoven as a kid. Um, Definitely a movie I watched a ton of times over. My favorite Beethoven memory, I I can't move on without at least mentioning it, wasn't when I was a kid. It was actually when I was in my college years. And um, I went over um, on one of the times I was back home from college and I was visiting with my grandmother. And I don't remember the exact circumstance, except to say, I think the movie, while I was at her house, happened to pop on the TV. And I was just sitting there chatting with her, just how life is going in general, whatever. I was only planning to be there like 20 minutes, pop in, say hi, grandma, see how she's doing, whatever. And I proceeded to sit and watch the entirety of Beethoven with her. And she was cracking up, (laughs) cackling like a banshee throughout the whole movie, laughing her ass off. 
at this at this movie and the exploits of this dog. And I was laughing at how much she was laughing. And it's just like one of my favorite um, memories of her in later life before she passed on. So it, for me, it's a very fond uh, movie memory with her. I will say I have another movie memory with her that is darker because uh, when I was younger, this is, I'm sure everybody has something like this in their, their movie going things. I acquired, I don't remember if we bought it or whatever, Ace Ventura. And I watched that at her house one summer when I was younger <laughs> and if you've seen Ace Ventura and some of the content in that movie, not a movie to watch at your grandma's house. No. And that did not turn out well. My mom got reamed out by her, like, what are you doing letting this kid watch this movie? Like, sort of thing. Oh, my God. Not good. But uh, that's that's my grandma remembrances for, for the plus and the minus on movies, at least. Um, uh, number four, uh, we're moving on to a movie called Sleepwalkers. This is a Stephen King movie, although I think this is one of his movies where he wanted to be distanced from it after it was produced. Mm -hmm. He's had that a few times. I don't always understand the Stephen King separating himself from movies thing. He let it get licensed. You know what I mean? Like he's making money on it. So even if you don't like it, like shut the hell up and collect your check. Yeah. You know, um, I have such a love hate with Stephen King in so many ways. He's written um, some really cool books and things over time. In some others, he has produced some of the most utter gigantic Stinkers. trash uh, that you'll ever see. Um, and it seems like the track record of, Stephen King books being turned into movies is almost always for the worse. There's definitely a few out there that have been pretty good. I tend to find it's usually his short stories, things like the green mile um, that do better. But um, when he gets his kind of horror related things out there, particularly the early nineties stuff, they are just hot, hot garbage. Yeah. I think they're all low budget. Um, the effects are terrible. They come off immediately as just B or even C or even D movies, you know, like yeah. they, they just they just don't hold up even when they're fresh. This movie was panned, I think, by critics and things at the times. I'm actually shocked that it did the gross that it did. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> did you see Sleepwalkers? I don't remember seeing Sleepwalkers, but I know of it. <laughs> I know of the title. I recognize the poster. Um, but yeah, I never saw it. I mean, like, you know, again, through the, through the, <laughs> the modern prism, essentially the plot of this movie is that a mother and son shapeshifter creatures go to a small town and start preying on virgin girls. <laughs> that doesn't hold up. You know, like, nope. <laughs> so yeah, no, not so good. No, not so good at all. So the next one on the list here is, at number seven, Thunderheart, which had a gross of fifteen million six hundred and thirty-five thousand uh, in a hundred in, in eleven hundred theaters, and I have no idea what this movie is. <laughs> Never heard of it. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a oh, you know what? Maybe I, it's a Val Kilmer movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know it though. Yeah, no, I, I, the name seems like it should be familiar, but it's kind of unrecognizable to me. Um, honestly, I think it's another one of these kind of earlies, like, 
like Native American exploitation of culture sort of films, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) I've got nothing for it. I've got some more further down the list here. Number eight is a movie called Straight Talk. Does this uh, ring a bell for you? Is this the Dolly Parton movie? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Straight Talk. Uh, A woman ditches her small town life for big city Chicago, where she becomes a sensation as a radio show. It is Dolly Parton. I've (laughs) seen this movie. I've was it seen, any good? I don't know. I don't remember. I was 10 years old. I saw <laughs> my mother, I don't know, on VHS. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it was, you know, essentially it was like a redoing of of her movie 9 to 5, essentially. Yeah. But, you know, she ends up becoming like a Delilah at night of some sort, you know, like kind of thing. Well, I can talk a little bit more about the next couple of movies, at least. Number 10 and 11 are both animated movies. The first is Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, and the second is Rockadoodle. Now, um, Fern Gully I know, Rockadoodle I don't know. Okay, fair enough. I would rate both of these movies, again, as they came out as being like B animation movies. (laughs) Everybody that I knew saw Fern Gully – um, it had Robin Williams playing Batty Coda. Um, essentially, the movie was about um, fairies that live in like a rainforest and the rainforest is being destroyed. The whole point of the movie was basically like an, like an eco statement on like rainforests being attacked. And they were trying to get that message into modern American family homes by shunting it through a Robin Williams-led kid movie, you know? Um it's a really weird, really uneven movie. Uh, even for a Robin Williams movie, it's like he's definitely not at his best there. I mean, he's Robin Williams doing Robin Williams, but it's a weird character that he's playing, mm-hmm. like a like a bat that's been experimented on for some oh, reason. You yeah, know, like he was a bat. I remember that. Yes, I remember. and he's friends with the fairies. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of just like an odd, odd film. I think like when I saw it the first time, I was like, okay, you know. But, like, I I don't know. Even as a kid, I think I was a little, like, ho-hum on it. Mm. Um, Basically, same thing with Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle is, like, it's it's a really bizarre movie. It's, like, there's a rooster. He's, like, a, like, a, like, small-town, on-the-farm guy. And he basically becomes, like, Elvis. Mm -hmm. Like, he basically becomes, like, this rock star rooster. It's got this evil owl that hypnotizes people. It's it's a really another weird movie. It has like music in it, as you might assume. Um, I don't know, ki- kind of just another just strange movie. Something again that when I was a little kid, like I had both of these on VHS and I'd watch them maybe two or three times, whatever, as a kid. I probably saw them a handful of times. I can't recommend either one as an adult. <laughs> like I would not show either of these to my kids. And I've gone and shown them a lot of stuff. And my wife would tell you that a lot of the movies I've shown them are dogs, (laughs) but like there's definitely ones that I liked as a kid. I have no interest in showing either of my kids, either of these movies. So I I don't know if it holds a place uh, of fondness in any listeners hearts. If it does, I apologize, but I don't know. These ones are just like for me. (laughs) Fair enough. The next one on the list is the babe starring John Goodman about babe Ruth. And up until maybe Rudy, this was like my favorite sports movie. I absolutely loved this movie as a kid. I saw it twice in the theater. 
I was shocked that he didn't win the best actor for this because he literally like felt like Babe Ruth, what I would imagine him to be. This is such a great, unbelievably well-told movie that really tells you the entire arc of Babe Ruth's life. And it's a, it's a fantastic film. And I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember the entirety of this film as far as like where the plot went. I do remember that it paints him, you know, like even when I was a kid, Babe Ruth, even after all that time was still like, you know, he's one of the stars of baseball. Yeah. I would be curious if like a modern kid in little league has any clue who Babe Ruth is. You know what I mean? I, I feel like, you know, they might know about some of the newer players or things like that. Like but I, I, <laughs> I feel like some of these older players are just like, aren't talked about as much anymore. And this film among several others that I had seen, you know, in my earlier childhood, like there was one about Lou Gehrig and things mm-hmm. like that um, really did a cool job sort of, talking up like who these people were in reality. Yeah. You know, it's essentially a biopic. Yeah. Um, and showcase them in the good and the bad. Exactly. Yeah. But again, to your point, John Goodman is, is an incredible actor and he was really good in this role. I, I think he really um, was a perfect choice to play this character. So, so absolutely um, definitely agree with you on that one. So what's next here? So next on the list is a movie at number 14 called Deep Cover. Uh, this is Lawrence Fishburne. Um, I recognize this, this poster. I do. Uh, I think this is a, I think this is, no, I thought it was a, it's, I don't know who Bill Duke is. I thought it was John Singletary, but it's, it's Bill Duke, whoever that is. Uh, a uniformed cop is recruited by a drug enforcement agent to infiltrate a drug smuggling ring looking to expand its operation. That's all I know. That's all yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, next on the list is City of Joy. This has Patrick Swayze in it, but outside of that, I don't know a lot about it. Essentially, the logline describes it um, as an American doctor, a British nurse, and an illiterate Indian farmer <laughs> joined together to transform a Calcutta ghetto in this uplifting, inspirational movie starring Patrick Swayze and Pauline Collins. I mean, this seems like such prototypical 90s like sort of thing. You know, like there was a bunch of movies like this that that kind of, you know, fit this same kind of narrative. It's stuff that I wouldn't have been watching at this age. So it's just lost on me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just not recognizable. Next on the list is a movie called White Sands at number 20. It's a Willem Dafoe movie. That's all I know about it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's the funny part. There's a bunch of movies in a row here that are like, you know, starring people. And it seems like something that you might know about. But I think they were just all probably above our head at the time and then just yeah. like lost on it afterward. Um, the next one on the list is a movie called The Player. Oh, I know Robert The Player. Altman movie. I yeah, this has got player. Tim Robbins in it. Yeah. Um, I is- vaguely remember this movie, but but not enough to really intelligently talk about it. Want to know a funny story about this movie? Absolutely. This is the first movie that I saw a, a topless woman in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think Little like a- Mike Kennedy. <laughs> Daddy, what am I seeing? I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they, my parents were watching it and there's like a hot tub scene over that and I walked in and I was like I couldn't sleep and they're like get out get out get, get out, out. <laughs> <laughs> the next day like can we talk about that 
<laughs> what were they doing in that hot tub? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. You're welcome, right. listeners. Number 25 in a movie that I was surprised came is out this now far and not in the 80s is Newsies. And way far down the list. I'm shocked it's that far down. It's, it's, it's such a cult film nowadays. Yes. Well, so funny enough, when I saw this on the list, I had to go look it up a little bit more. Um, and as you say... It's basically the definition of a cult movie. It bombed in its opening to the extent that after one week of running in the theaters, it was doing so awful, Disney pulled it. Wow. I saw it it in the theater that week, too. Well, good for you. You were one of a very limited set then. You're one of that little $2 million, $2.8 million that this made uh, in its entire run. Now, ironically, it does go on to become kind of a cult classic, especially in the Disney Vault VHS market, to the extent now that it's an award-winning Broadway show. So what a random poll, you know? Um, I I think one of the things that's always interesting to me about Newsies, it's a very early on... um, Christian Bale movie? Christian Bale movie, thank you. Um, Outside of that, I mean, I saw it when I was a kid on VHS. It was never one of my favorites, um, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a ton to say about it. You know, it, it had music and I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't super memorable for and, me. <laughs> and I didn't know it was Christian Bale until the internet. And basically after seeing American Psycho, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, the guy from Newsies. I mean, the funny part too, is I've seen people claim that it's his first role and that's not really the case. Like mm-hmm. he's, he was acting as early as like 86. So like, I don't really know why that rumor got started maybe it's like his first like big movie although maybe, maybe arguably, not a, arguably not a big movie you know so I don't, yeah maybe who knows <laughs> um number 29 on the list movie i also don't recognize called passed away um but number 30 on the list is a 1992 re-release of casablanca um now interestingly enough this is pretty far down on the list only making 1.7 million because it only opened in 11 theaters I wonder why they would do a re-release of this and put it in so few theaters. I don't know. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's I don't know enough about Casablanca to know if it's like a anniversary for when it released originally or something for that year. That's what I wonder. Maybe it was. I don't even know what year it was released. Seems like it could have done a, a wider release for that big of a you know. Obviously, classic movie. It was released in 1942, so it's the okay. So yeah, so it is an anniversary. So it seems weird to me then. And obviously, there's a lot more of that nowadays with with movies getting you know releases and things for for particular anniversaries, particularly in the streaming uh, arena as we've seen. But it could also be just the the cost of the film stock to make the duplications of of a fifty year old maybe. Movie. But I mean, God, that's a that's like right up there with Citizen Kane and things considered to be like one of those all-time classics. To yeah. only get 11 theaters just seems a little odd, you know? It's a little art house of a release. So Fair enough. Kind of weird. So um, th- th- we're already at the, the dregs at the bottom here. Um, we have oh, a movie what? called... You don't know Year of the Comet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not off the top of my head. Um I- no, <laughs> an auctioneer's daughter and a rich buyer's emissary fall for each other while trying to keep a rare wine out of the hands of evildoers. <laughs> I, mean, I like the log line, and maybe it is worth seeing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a few more, and I'm gonna come back to another one. Um, okay. So they have a midnight clear, brain donors, 
Um, actually, I'll, I'll just hit it right now. Number 39 has got me baffled. Number 39 is called, and I'm going to read this in its entirety. This is the title of the movie? Supposedly, Dancing slash The Song of Wolfgang the Intrepid, comma, The Glorious Destroyer of Dragons, slash A Smaller World, slash The Green Beret, slash Weeds, slash The Tale of Nippleless Nippleby, slash Office Space, slash The Boss, slash unsavory Avery, slash ring, slash prehysterical days. My guess, without having looked this up, is it must be a short short movie collection. Yeah. But why on earth they would call it all of the names of all the things instead of like blah, blah, blah festival short collection or something like that is beyond me. I don't have the energy to look it up, so I'm not going to, but that's my assumption. So, um, so, <laughs> what, what, so basically what happens is I clicked on it, right? And yes, it's it's a collection of short films. So Dancing is three minutes long. A Song of Wolfgang is four minutes long. And, you know, it keeps going on and on and on from there. I'm curious about Office Space, though. Um yeah, if that has any relation to the it later does. on. It does. Is it? <laughs> it does. Milton, a put-upon office worker at an evil corporation called Inatech, talks to the camera about his troubles. How cool it, is that? <laughs> picks his nose and threatens to burn the building down while being occasionally hounded by his boss. I really want to dig up that short now. <laughs> it's... it's it's no joke, two minutes long. It must be Mike Judges. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I have to try and see if I can find that now. Um, number 42, I do want to genuinely stop and ask you if you know about. This is the Miramax movie of the month. This is a movie called Delicatessen. I feel like I should know this movie. It sounds familiar. Um, not for nothing, because when you look at the poster, I particularly recognize this pig that's on the cover of this. Um, the, the logline is post-apocalyptic surrealist black comedy about the landlord of an apartment building who occasionally prepares a delicacy for his odd tenants. I could swear that this is something that got brought up by like Vince or somebody in film school and was discussed, you know, like, I, I feel like this is something that like I've heard about over time. This feels like a Vince or like a, a, a Rob sort of reference. <laughs> These are all people that none of you folks know who we're talking about, but they're guys we went to film school with or professionally yeah. had. So, yeah. Which is why I was mostly sticking to the first name there, but um, it, oh, well. it, uh, it, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like something film schoolish that that I've heard of before, yeah. if not necessarily seen at some point during college. So I don't know. Uh, and finishing out the list, number 43 and 44 is Brenda Starr and the Playboys. Um, again, I kind of looked these up before. Neither one is terribly worth, you know, like mentioning. I always like the bottom ones when there's something really bizarre. Um, but these are kind of more like just supposed to be like poignant sort of Our, movies. Art house, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't have much to say on them. So that's going to wrap it up for our box office uh, 30 this month. So why don't we take a look and see if we can't recall White Men Can't Jump. All right. So White Men Can't Jump is written and directed by Ron Shelton, who is known for his many sports related films. Among his works are Bull Durham, Tin Cup, which, by the way, 
My mom bought a two-pack VHS of at Caldor, Tin Cup and Bull Durham. I recall liking Tin Cup better, but both were pretty good. Um, Blaze, Cobb, Blue Chips, Play It to the Bone, and specifically the screenplays for Under Fire, The Great White Hype, and Bad Boys 2, among others. Wow. Yes. Uh, The film stars Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, and Rosie Perez, among others. And uh, on top of its $42.3 million April run, it goes on to make $76.3 million domestic and $90.8 million worldwide on a $31 million budget. I was a little surprised by that budget, given what this movie is. Do you think that's like paying actors or I don't know? It just seemed a little highish compared to some of the other budgets we've seen lately for a movie that's just basically about basketball. It's a Wesley Snipes budget. Okay. There you go. I was, <laughs> um, he, he was he was very bankable at that time. Yeah, I just you know like whenever we talk about that, I'm like, were these guys getting that big a paycheck at this point already? But yeah, maybe. Um, it's the 16th highest grossing movie overall in 1992. I'm, I'm going to start trying to put that in where I can because I always think that's interesting to mm-hmm. sort of landmark it where it goes. Um, so before we get into trying to recall it and everything, I thought I'd bring up that, uh, as we were speaking about the Oscars before white man, can't jump had a little reunion at the Oscars. They did. <laughs> we had the three, uh, main actors, uh, come out and presented the achievement in cinematography, which by the way, doom one, congrats dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was like a fun little, uh, get together that the three of them, um, showed up for that again. Yeah, it was cool. And the, the best part about that moment is Woody Harrelson goes, I've been nominated three times and this is the most I've ever spoken of this thing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. He's like, he's like uh, presenting's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. That was actually really funny. Uh, yeah. And I think that was the same one too, where like uh, Wesley like missed his line and then like Rosie Perez was kind of like, it's you, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could just see like, it was like, it was just like, fun. Like the three of them, you could tell that they like, uh, we're glad to cre- see each other. Yeah. And- created a bond that definitely is still stuck through the age here. Yeah. So um, uh, let me give a stab at seeing what I can recall of this because obviously you know this a little bit better than I do mm-hmm. um, and I probably can't go nearly as deep as, as you can on the recall of this. Um, my recollection is um, Woody Harrelson and Rosie Perez's characters are essentially like um, like hustlers. Like, like uh, you know, um, he shows up at the court and – um, Wesley Snipes is like, oh, you know, I'll kick this guy's butt over the court. And it, like, you know, like he basically, um, you know, uh, Woody Harrelson like beats him like a couple times in a row. And then they sort of like hatch a plan to like join forces to like, I don't know, win like a tournament or I don't know, something like, like kind of like hustle other people. Um, and I think Rosie Perez um, had a thing like where she wanted to be on jeopardy or yes. wheel of fortune or yeah something some game show or something like that was popular yeah, at that time uh like like really wanted to be on the game show um that's most of what i remember okay <laughs> um decent so f- basically i think woody harrelson and rosie perez are married or they're a couple of some sort and they are struggling for money and so he's decent at basketball and he wants to get in and start playing and making money off of the basketball games and essentially, you know, works his way into it, even though, you know, Wesley Snipes and everybody else is like, oh, this guy can't play. And, and 
and he shows them that he can and they start doing these like you know city tournaments and stuff like that and they're winning a lot of money and they're helping to finance their bills and pay off debt and so on and so forth and then basically long story short they need a little extra money to to pay for rosie perez to be on wheel of fortune or did jeopardy okay (laughs) i guess that's it (laughs) but like you know drama ensues chaos ensues and you know all that jazz so all right. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I, as I was kind of just like looking around for some of the basic information I was gathering tonight, I came across a uh, Collider article where they were ranking their all-time basketball movies, and this topped number three for them. That was their number really? three. Really? Yeah, so um, which put it ahead of things like Air Bud and uh, um, <laughs> what's the Bugs Bunny one? Space oh, Jam. Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How dare they? How yeah. dare they? <laughs> um, so I thought we would uh, take a look at our preview review. I'm ready when you are. All right. Before we even start this, this is like a uh, almost two and a half minute trailer. Uh, I'm worried about how much we're going to give away here, but, but let's see. I'll count us down. Three, two, one. Rated, Rated R. <laughs> 20th Century Fox, now Disney. <laughs> yeah, there's something about 20th Century Century Studios that just doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, no, it does not. I, so I already love the music choice here. Because you never saw me. Look at that hat. <laughs> Look at these outfits in general. <laughs> this is prime 90s. This is so 90s. I'm sorry, honey. It's oh, my. It's about that green. Your white shadow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will say, Wesley Snipes can wear a tank top, man. <laughs> Hundred dollars, baby, and you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? Nice. Give me my money. I'll see you hustle. Hey, I never use those goofy white mother. Hey, who you calling goofy white mother? You, you. How much do you love me? I love you, Infinity. I love Rosie Perez. Oh, I do too. She's so good in this movie too. Oh, oh, okay. They are hustling people. Yeah. <laughs> These hats. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> These hats are horrible. When you talk like that. His hat's like the non-shiny version of like Marty McFly's hat in, the, in part two. Like this, totally. his kid's hat, that like shiny one. <laughs> I only have four words for you. White men can jump. <laughs> they said the title. <laughs> the title. Coming March 27th to theaters everywhere. There you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean... 
Yeah, I don't think they give away. I mean, I, they give away the plot, but I don't think they give away like too much of the the humor and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll be interested to see it again after all this time. If I saw this movie, it was like long time ago. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I have another thing to uh, to bring up on on this point before we start kind of wrapping things up, which uh, also came up while I was um, looking up the information for the regular movie, and I did not know this was coming along. But did you know? In development right now, Jack Harlow is set to star in a White Men Can't Jump remake on Fox by the creator of Blackish, Kenya Barris. Who's Jack Harlow? Good question, because I didn't know either. <laughs> so um, I had to Google him. Um, and I don't know if it's just because we're old and we're out of tune with these things. He is a rapper. Um, he's like a southern white guy ish rapper i guess i don't know like i don't really know a hundred percent of his background um but uh yeah (laughs) um nba player blake griffin and nfl player ryan khalil are producing this under their company mortal media which is relatively new who by the way are also developing a remake of the rocketeer Mm -hmm. so how about that um Charles Kidd 2, I guess, known professionally as Calmatic, um, who's apparently a successful music video director, is directing the reboot. He's also currently making a remake of House Party. So I guess remakes are like his thing for the uh, immediate future. Um, so I don't know, like either you and I are, are old. Um, we old. White men can't know about new people coming up and (laughs) producing stuff. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but uh, it's a lot of people's names who I don't recognize remaking a thing that I do recognize. So I don't know. We'll see how it comes out, I guess. But it's for Fox. I mean, which just means it'll be canceled after a season. That's fine. (laughs) Yes. Um, What's what's a bummer about that is like some of the best parts in that movie were the cursing and just like the language. It's just so funny the way they use curse words in that movie. It just makes it very entertaining that it's going to be all watered down. Speaking of a show on Fox, if you want to promote anything, there's a show called Pivoting starring Elijah Coop, which is basically about us. Uh, They're, they're 39, 40 year olds from Long Island and, and dealing with being parents. It's really, nice. really a fantastic show, and I highly recommend it for anybody. I'll have to take a look. It's, it's <laughs> only one season, it's like 10 episodes so far. Fantastic show. So funny. I highly I'll have recommend to give it a shot. <laughs> well, in the Long Island way of things, where is it taking place? Massapequa. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that said, let's let's bring this train into the station. Choo choo. All right. So, um, as usual, we've got our our big movie quiz. So uh, again, I'll pitch it out to you: um, Oscar winners, comedy classics, or action movies. What did we do last time? Um, I want to say that we did we did comedy classics because remember, it totally coincidentally ended up being a My Cousin Vinny card at at the oh, end. Oh yes, it. fair enough. Okay. Um, I think at some point we're gonna kill the comedy classics because we definitely have done a few of those. Let's let's do action. Let's do it. We haven't done that in a while. This poor guy just avoids, avoids, avoids the Oscar ones. <laughs> well, we, we we just spent like a half an hour talking about the Oscars, so we can move on from that. For the gotcha. Moment. Okay. Uh, let's see here. I think. I think I didn't ask you this last time. I Hopefully I put the other one underneath. So I'm going to start you off on this one. So as per usual, we'll see how we do best out of six. Mm-hmm. 
Who directed The Hurt Locker? Catherine Bigelow. Yes, fabulous movie. God, I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, which actor stars alongside Will Smith in the Bad Boys film series? Also just mentioned Bad Boys 2. Martin Lawrence. There you go. All right, so we're two for two. Uh, which 1982 film was loosely based on the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Blade Runner. There you go. Very good. That Blade Runner got mentioned earlier, too. We're really on uh, on par here. Uh, Memphis and Sway are both characters in which 2000 film? Oh, uh, I can see it. It's starting to form in the back of your head. <laughs> Focus more on Memphis. <laughs> um, I feel like it's like a Mark Wahlberg movie. Close. It's a Nicolas Cage movie. Memphis and Sway. Uh, oh, is it Con Air? No, this is Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh. <laughs> I have to take a moment um, to mention, I've been, uh, I think it was when we went and saw um, Batman that we saw this trailer for the first time, came as a complete, complete surprise for me. Have you heard, and I want to get the name correct, so let me see if I can get it perfect for you here. Have you seen the trailer or heard of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Mm, I've heard of it. I haven't seen the trailer for it. I cannot wait for this movie. Essentially, this movie is about Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage in a Nicolas Cage-like movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I... like, do yourself a favor, stop listening to this podcast, drop whatever you're doing, and go watch the trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent. I am so excited for this movie. Matter of fact, do you mind if we do like another little preview review here and I give you <laughs> this trailer to watch right now? Why not? Could we stop right here and 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 put this on as per we normally do? Let me let me grab it for you really quick. Mm-hmm. And we'll listen to it right here on the podcast because I want to catch your take on on this uh, on this movie. Let me send you the trailer, and then we'll count us down when you're ready. Okay, you sent it to Gmail. All right, here we go. Oh boy, I am ready when you are. All right, three, two, one. What's the worry here? It's two and a half. It's almost three minutes long. Wow. The sound is really good. <laughs> it's because it's not from the 1990s. <laughs> He's got a good wig on, I'll say that. He might be doing that uh, hair club for men or something. <laughs> something to keep in mind during all this, he's Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage in this role. Wow. <laughs> okay. This is good. Look at this boat! Wow. The Mandalorian himself. Oh man, this is a good cast in this movie. This looks cool. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to? Nick Cage. Oh man. That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. It is impossible to answer, yes. Oh, oh man. 
it too much? Sure. Is this supposed to be me? Oh my goodness. I'll give you 20,000 for it. This is unbelievable. <laughs> oh my goodness, this cast is fantastic. It's, it, it's almost like Weekends at Bernie's. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. Oh man. Now it just oh, becomes man. a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> so, you know what it is, though? There's an Amazon Prime show called uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Nice. Where it's basically Jean-Claude Van Damme playing a spy and an actor at the same time. Are those my golden guns? <laughs> my golden guns. He's got golden guns! <laughs> he had... <laughs> He's got his golden guns from Face Off. <laughs> De-aging. <laughs> that title, though. <laughs> wow. So, my something, face, right? My, my face hurts from smiling watching that trailer. Yeah, no, you're yeah, absolutely exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, I am so excited about that movie. Oh, my God. So, uh, as if you could even possibly move on. But let's move on because here's another reference to, to tonight. Which Marvel superhero is portrayed by Wesley Snipes? Blade. Blade. You had to think about that a little too long. <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute. I, I was like, currently? Nothing. And then I was like, wait, he's only in Blade, right? <laughs> All right. Our last question. You're, you're five for five here, sir. Oh, boy. Great. Which film follows a group of high school students calling themselves Wolverines fighting off a Soviet no, I, Union I, invasion? I got, I got uh Gone is seconds wrong. I, I said. Oh, that's right. So well, all right. Four for five. What was the question again? I missed it. You should have just taken the win there. <laughs> Which film follows a group of high school students calling themselves Wolverines fighting off a Soviet Union invasion? Oh, um, this is a movie that had a remake. Red Dawn. I recently. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's not so. So you ended up with five out of six anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I could live with that. All right. So, that was cool. <laughs> that was fun. That was a good good batch of stuff there. I like that. Yeah. So, excellent. Very cool. All right. So, uh, why don't you tell them uh, how to get a hold of us? How do they get a hold of us? Okay. So, they can go to our Instagram, which is boxoffice30, T-H-I-R-T-Y, and follow us and comment and subscribe or whatever they do on Instagram. Um, <laughs> you can also go to box office three zero on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter's where we get our most activity and, and Pete does 99.9% of the responses. Cause I, <laughs> a don't have access to it, but B I just see what it has. Oh, they're chatting with us. I will comment <laughs> back. Sounds great. Cool. 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 Um, so yeah, follow us on our social media. We, we post some cool stuff. Pete posts some great content, and I just basically retweet it. So um, 
but we have a good following of people there and and it's kind of interesting to see the conversations about movies and it's super fun um so I, i really enjoy the banter of people we also as always want to thank jason and mickey at the retro network for hosting us on giving us a platform to talk to each other for you know two hours and just talk about movies and whatever and be yeah, i thought dirty. this was gonna be a short podcast what did we do yeah this is a long <laughs> one we went really off the rails i think partly because of audio issues then batman then the oscars it just was all downhill yeah but anyway thank you for staying and listening Sorry. and thank you for jason and mickey <laughs> and you can check out our t public store where you can buy some cool merch i'm i'm in the market for like another hoodie or something like that. i, I want to just something that i can just throw on and go um and just have it for when i'm just sitting here talking to you and um also check out our fully updated beautiful website well mostly fully updated. Say, I, I still hey, got a handful of episodes on there i gotta get the the rest <laughs> let's say 80 percent updated <laughs> box office three zero i did check the uh the insights on it before and people have been visiting so thank you to those folks who have been checking the site out I did see a lot of broken link jumps, so I apologize for that. If you see something that's not working as it should, feel free to drop me a line over on uh, on uh, <laughs> on the socials, or if you're one of the people who has joined the Patreon and is part of the um, chat group that we have over there, feel free to, to let me know there as well, like at me, Box Office 30, because sometimes I miss messages and all the other uh, great conversations that are going on over there, and let me know if you found any broken things i think the one i see people doing the most is clicking on your and my face to follow the the link so i gotta try and kill that link because we don't have any bios or things written just yet so yeah just i'll, I'll get you a, i'll page. get you a bio this week and we can have you know that stuff going up at least for you know. <laughs> um but it's a really beautiful looking website i really gotta say it's it's spectacular yeah it's just anything's better than the the old thing that i had so this is this it's much improved so uh, i'm just happy to be able to have a nice back catalog place that people can go and find the stuff yeah it's very cool and you know as always thank you so much for listening and enjoying us babble on and you know we recently were told we got like a pretty decent ranking in the movie history itunes and i want to keep getting this up and up and up and as as we hope for the 1992 whatever year we're in (laughs) we'll we'll get to get those rankings up there and and uh it's super cool to see that stuff it's really exciting like wow look people are listening to us and it's not just us yeah (laughs) i didn't find every possible podcast app i could and just keep re-downloading it to pump up the numbers (laughs) yes (laughs) peach has got like a server and like 12 like like, like swordfish in his his bedroom just just download them all (laughs) nice All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. We will see you back here in two weeks for our review of White Men Can't Jump. In the meantime, be well, and we will see you soon. Bye, everybody. We go and see. Stole my line! This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.